Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 267, recorded May 14th, 2017. Interesting you say Star Trek Comic Book Review, Ken. Yes, it is. Because today, we ain't talking about Star Trek. What? Wait a minute. That's the whole point of the podcast. Right, it is. But we had Star Trek, and it crossed over two times now with the Green Lantern universe. Yes. And Star Trek crossed over at least once so far with the Planet of the Apes crossover uh, <laughs> universe. Yes, yes. So when the Planet of the Apes universe is now crossing over with the Green Lantern universe, we felt like that was enough connection that we needed to cover that one too. <laughs> it gave us just enough justification that we could rationalize it. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so we're doing a sidestep. We're talking about the current uh, running Green Lantern, Planet of the Apes crossover uh, by uh, DC Comics and Boom Studios. Yes, and I'm glad you suggested this. At first I thought it was going to be like a bit of a lame crossover, but actually this is a pretty good crossover. I, I like the writing. They got some interesting ideas. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm digging this. Uh, uh, maybe even more than the, than the Star Trek Planet of the Apes crossover, which I liked a lot. Yeah. Um, but I, lo- I loved how that story kind of fit in. You know, it, the, Captain Kirk shows up right after Taylor disappears in the uh, in the Forbidden Zone, and, and it told a great story that could still fit in the movie continuity. Hmm. And uh, I feel like this one's doing the same thing. Uh, yeah, I don't see how they're going to go back and say that the rest of the Planet of the Apes movies can happen after the events of this story, but uh, we'll see. But I, I'm hmm. liking it a lot. Me too. But because of the fact that a certain character at least appears to be dead, which I won't go into which one, mm-hmm. but we find it out before we get through the th- these three issues, it's like, unless he comes back to life, oh, as I say he, um, unless the person comes back to life, then this can't be, for multiple re- for, for even more reasons, this cannot be in the right continuity with the movies. Right. So this is just a sidestep from the movies. So we take the first movie and then we just take a step over. Kind of right. how the Star Trek one did too. Well, that well, yeah, one but couldn't fit in either. After right, it was also, so. but that one, you know, it's a different dimension. Right. I mean, they pretty much said that. Um, uh, you're talking about the um, the Planet of the Apes crossover or Star the Green Trek Lantern crossover? Star With, Trek Green Lantern. Yeah, yeah, right, definitely. So you, you could, there are things that are different enough that you know that that's different. And who knows, maybe this is the same thing with this one because of this one character that's, that, that dies but right. unexpectedly. But because of something the Guardians are saying, I don't know. It, it, it sounds like the Guardians know about multiple dimensions and things like that too because they are like incredibly powerful. But, well, let's just find out what happens, shall we? <laughs> Yeah, let's do that. So uh, today we're going to cover, like I said, the first three issues, and um, and hopefully 
we get to finish it off. Uh, maybe we can do another episode where we do the four, five, and six. I'm hoping. Yeah. That's well, I, I think we have to. All right. Good. 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 I don't think we have a choice there. Ken and I hadn't actually talked about if we would continue to do this one off, but it, I'm glad he said yes. Oh my god! I want to know what happens. Anyway. Good. All right. So. All right. Yeah. Then let's go ahead and get started, Ken. I think uh, you have number one, don't you? I do. Okay. So first issue, published date February 2017. Creative team is Robbie Thompson. Writer. Oh, uh, Robbie Thompson did the story. Justin Jordan was the writer of the finished script. Artist, Barnaby Bagenda. Letterer is Ed Dukeshire. Colors by Alex Guimares. Design by Scott Newman. Associate editor, Alex Galler. Editor, Daphina Pleben. DC Comics editor, Jim Chadwick. Okay, so there's supposedly eight different covers for this issue. Eight! Wow! Um, but I really only easily found six of them. And besides, we don't want to turn the entire episode into uh, talking about covers. So let me just go over the six I found. So the first one by Ethan Van Syver, uh with colors by Jason Wright, is showing a bunch of different Green Lanterns that are arrayed around the outside of the cover. And right up in the middle is an ape's hand, a chimpanzee's hand, something like that. And it is wearing a green lantern ring. Cool. And there's like energy going everywhere. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool. And it gets right across to you right now. Uh, we're going to see what happens when an ape, a talking ape gets a, a lantern ring. B is a insensitive variant cover, and it's cover art by Steve Morris, and it shows what appears at first to be Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, but when you look closer, it looks like there's a dark head, like a perhaps an ape's head on the Green Lantern uh, body. To the left is a broken lantern that is completely dark, so no power is coming out of it, and then, dominating the cover, really, is a ghostly apparition of Sinestro, who's looking down upon the beaten ape lantern. Okay, moving along. Uh, retail incentive variant cover two, cover art by Paul Rivoshi and designed by Scott Newman, shows a cool, kind of old-fashioned, you know, 1960s, 1970s kind of cover art style, which shows what appears to be maybe Cornelius with a full-on Green Lantern outfit, complete with the white gloves, and he is shooting a green beam of light at what appears to be Taylor's uh, spaceship. So the spaceship that was in the original Planet of the Apes movie, the kind of Delta shape kind of thing. And then all that's happening in the air above a coastline. And then at the coastline, we can see the, the destroyed upper portion of the Statue of Liberty. There you go. Pretty cool. Uh, I mean, that, that kind of art style just reminds me of my childhood. Next one is the action figure variant cover by David Ryan Robinson and with character portraits by Rod Reese. And this looks like a fun little toy. So inside the packaging is Cornelius as a Green Lantern, and then it's on a cardboard, you know, a cardboard piece of uh, a hanging uh, thing. So um, it hangs on the pegs, and it's got pictures of like uh, uh, 
six different characters from the Planet of the Apes movies. Uh, Dr. Zaius and uh, uh, a bunch of other people, uh, uh, etc. Comics Pro variant cover by Felipe Masfera shows a very strong-looking Cornelius. So he looks pretty beefy and stuff. And he's got the Green Lantern outfit. And he's got the ring on. And the ring is glowing light right at the reader. And then arrayed all around him are tons of other Green Lantern characters. Um, Kilowog and, and Hal and a whole bunch of other people. The last one I'm going to talk about is the Unlocked Retailer Connecting Variant Cover by George Perez with inks by Jerry Ordwick and colors by Blonde. How interesting. Okay, so this one is a really busy cover. So there's like one... There's one, two, three major kind of sections to it, and each one of them kind of show a different scene. Um, One of them shows Jon Stewart and other Green Lanterns coming up against gorillas with rifles shooting at them, and what appears to be a huge uh, gorilla. I mean, a big, huge gorilla, far bigger than the normal Planet of the Apes gorillas. I don't know who he is exactly, for sure. And that gorilla is holding a huge chunk of, uh, like, some kind of statue or stone statue, getting ready to throw it at the lanterns. And then the background is like a city kind of scape kind of thing. The next section shows Hal, who's firing his, uh, his ring at Sinestro. And there's a bunch of other green lanterns and red lanterns and whatever in the air fighting each other. And then in the far background is the uh, Statue of Liberty again. And then the background is, um, what, the Lawgiver statue? I think it's the Lawgiver from the movies. And a bunch of uh, apes, four apes' heads are arrayed looking on at the statue. So that's the last cover uh, that I'm going to cover. And there are two more out there somewhere. Okay. A robed mystery figure stands before a dozen or so beaten and bound lanterns. He repeats two words. Nias Tolf. Milingado. Jagged beams of yellow energy emit from the robed one's hands, cutting into the lanterns. The explosion that issues forth from the lanterns blasts the mystery monk backwards. Meanwhile, in the sky over a familiar planet, a jagged beam of red light lights up the night. It finally lands in a desert landscape, forming a large crater. A lovely human brunette, without much on, looks into the crater. She is accosted by a talking chimpanzee who introduces himself as Cornelius. Cornelius calls her Nova. Cornelius asks Nova where Taylor is. The mute lovely cannot tell him. Cornelius hikes down into the crater and finds an orange glowing ring at the lowest point of the crater. Another artifact from the advanced human civilization that existed long ago? The artifact created the crater? Cornelius brings the artifact back home to study and to show his wife, Zira. As they look at the odd artifact, Cornelius tells Zira he tires of all the unrest in their world. All the war. Why can't someone bring peace? Meanwhile, far away and high above the glittering alien cityscape of Oa, Hal Jordan and members of the Green Lantern Corps are fighting against Red Lantern villains. The Green Lanterns eventually defeat and arrest the Red Lanterns, 
Hal and the others have no idea why the Red Lanterns would dare to attack Oa. They had to figure they would be defeated. Meanwhile, back at the original location um, in the book, the hooded figure drops his robes and reveals he is none other than Sinestro. Couldn't see that coming. He killed those dozen or so lanterns to steal their spectrum's power and consolidate it. He says, now that he has this power, it's time to get the universal ring. Cornelius notices the red ring glowing on his lab table. He marvels at its ability to glow with such pure red light. How does it do that? He figures what the hell and puts the ring on. It burns! His hand is on fire. His entire body is racked with pain. He stumbles towards the exit of his home. Meanwhile, back on Oa, Hal's ring sounds an alarm. Alert! Alert! Cross-coronal disruption detected! He and Kilowog have no idea what the warning means. Three guardians come floating out of a building and pass by Hal and Kilowog like adults passing children on the way to work. The guardians tell Hal and Kilowog it's a malfunction that they will deal with. They leave their policemen in a hurry. Hal and Kilowog do some detective work of their own and discover the source of the cross-coronal disruption is Earth. Hal takes off for Earth. On his way, he sees the focal point is in New York City. Above the city, he is attacked by Sinestro, and a battle royale begins. Outside of his home, and writhing in pain, Cornelius raises his ring hand in the air, and a ragged bolt of light comes shooting out. Somehow, the beam creates an opening in reality beneath Sinestro and Hal. They fall into the opening and into... water. Hal swims to the surface as his ring power ceases to work. He swims up on the shore as he loses consciousness on the beach and says, Damn it! Damn it all to hell! Hal sees upper portions of the Statue of Liberty rising out of the sand before him. Might we have seen this before? The beam of energy into the sky has stopped, and residual energy is arcing all around Cornelius. Eventually, it dissipates, and confused and groggy, Cornelius walks aimlessly into the opening of a cave. He is confronted by gray-robed humans that speak without moving their lips. The leader of the mutant humans recognizes the power in the ring and tells Cornelius to give it to them. Cornelius is having none of that and allows himself to feel a deep and violent rage. Cornelius tells the leader of the mutants he will not take the ring and unleashes an intense red fire that comes out of his ring and torches the mutant leader to a crisp. The others are shocked and recognize the power of the ape ring bearer as greater than their nuclear missile gods. They kneel and start paying homage to Cornelius, who is wearing a pretty spiffy superhero Spantex gray and red outfit at this point, complete with eight-pack abs. Won't Zira be pleased tonight? To be continued. Wow. You had to bring Zira into it. (laughs) Why not? She's important. Right, absolutely. She's a very important character. I love that uh I love that costume that it changes colors. It's like a mood ring costume where when he first puts the ring on he's he's a little greedy with the power and he's orange. 
Right. And then when they piss him off, he turns red and he's like, you will not have it. And he just kills the guy. So Yeah. And then when he when he's cool at the end, he's got a, a, a lantern-looking outfit, which I, I, I'm not familiar with. The red one? He's still wearing the red one at the end. Uh, it's red and gray. Right. Yeah. So it's only the collar and the the like the little accents on the uh, sleeves that change color. The rest is always gray or black. So it's it's orange when he's greedy. It's red when he's okay, but fired up. Okay, but this is a design I have not seen before. And when we get into the later issues, I. Uh, it, it, anyway, it changes it changes look, and it's really it's really interesting. I mean, eventually you get something more traditional uh, Green Lantern ish, but right now the design that he has right now at the end of this, I think, looks different from later. Uh, okay, uh, later. I'll, I'll have to pay attention. Yeah, I, I don't. I thought it would look the same, but uh, yeah, but, but that's we'll not. I mean, that's a unique Green Lantern costume. I mean, I think yeah, all, all Green Lantern costumes are a little different, you know. Right? Like, yeah. Like, like what's his house and kilowogs and right. yeah, right. They're, they're Guy always in the same motif, but always slightly different. Right. Which I've heard people complain. They're like, if it's supposed to be a uniform, then should they not all look the same? As opposed to you know, they all kind of look the as if they came from the same material, but they all look completely different. Anyways. I liked it. I liked this, and I liked how it changes color. I yes. did not notice that it changes design, so I'll pay attention when we do the second and third issue. Okay. Um, also, at this point, it was like, okay, it's so uh, it changes color. I was just getting that, and so obviously he found the universal ring, which apparently is able to channel power from all the spectrum, the different powers. Right. And what I didn't get at the beginning is all those lanterns he killed, Sinestro, mm-hmm. it depended upon the, the panel, but they a lot of them looked like they were like yellow in color. Or at least that one guy that kind of looked like he was uh, atrocious, or atrocious, that big guy that yeah, was he's, torched. He's a, he's a yellow one. Okay, he's a yellow one. But, I mean, right. he looks like Atrocitus, but obviously it's not, because Atrocitus, we see him later, and he's a red guy and whatever. So what's his name? I mean, he's a – is he just a, a brand-new lantern we never saw before? Or uh, I think all these lanterns are ones that we don't know, with the exception of uh, Saint Walker, because he's the only blue one. Right. So he's Boy, Saint, you know, Saint Walker really gets the uh, shaft in, these, in most of these stories. <laughs> <laughs> right, because in volume two of the uh, Star Trek crossover, he's he's knocked out in the first issue, and then he's just basically uh, Sinestro's uh, captive throughout. So where we at, at least so far, far. yeah, 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 yeah. But now here he's he's dead. Yeah, um, and what, <sighs> Larfries is it? Larfries, uh, the one guy's name. Now um, th- there is a character here uh, that looks a little bit like Larfries. I mean, it may not be perfectly dead on Larfries, but he's orange. He's got the orange outfit, I think, and um, and his head looks like Larfries, but um, it might be Larfries because now that I think about it, I, I can't think of any other orange lanterns. Because I thought the whole thing was is that he was so greedy, he took oh. all of the orange uh, orange for himself. For himself, got it. So uh, yeah, so in that case, uh, he's probably dead too. 
Okay, so interesting. And this uh, girl with like the bat wings, the red, the red lantern that has like bat wings coming out of her head. She looks familiar, but I don't, I don't know her name. Right. And then there's the dog one in the back. You know, <laughs> he's, he's the Green Lantern. I've seen him in the comics. Okay. So uh, he, I guess he's now dead too. Okay. And there's a guy that kind of looks like a maybe a smooth-headed robot kind of thing. Uh, right. Yeah. The I've never seen him before. And then the girl in the uh, pink. Or hot pink? Yeah, it could be Star Sapphire, but she could just be another uh, Sapphire ring. Right. Okay. Yeah. She, yeah. yeah. Who knows? I mean, uh, it's it's different. So this this right now, it can't be in the DC continuity because these characters aren't dead. Right. Right. Okay. Interesting. But speaking of continuity, so I liked how this one fits right after this first movie and then takes elements from the second movie. But it can't can't the second movie can't have happened yet because uh the the mutants are there and uh, they haven't blown up the bomb yet. Right. And okay, that whole bomb thing. They set off one nuclear warhead or even if there were a few. It's in a specific spot on earth. So yeah, Cornelius and and the and the, the ape city, you know that he lives in with Doctor Zaius and everything. Okay, so maybe that's all torched, but there are other pockets of ape and humans at other parts of the planet, right? We just never see them. Well, or, or the TV show. Well, okay, well whatever. But but the thing is. At the very beginning, I thought this might have been after the second movie, but then I realized it couldn't have been because of the nuclear warhead. At least would have taken out the girl, and then Cornelius. But, and by the way, I don't want it to go on too much of a tangent here, but Cornelius, as we know from the third movie, uh, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, we know that they were able to get Taylor ship to work again. And they were able was to it escape. Ship or Brent ship? Because Taylor okay, ship so fine. Okay, Brent's. Okay, fine, Brent's. The, the second, the second astronaut that uh, the rescue mission, whatever. Right. Who was supposed to find out what happened to Taylor? So they were able to get that ship to work, and then they left the planet Earth mm-hmm. before everything go blowed up. Everything right. blowed up, right? So right. how did they have enough time? Did they ever explain no. how they had enough time to understand how the thing works and get it working again? And oh, by the way, where'd they get fuel? You know, getting off of the, uh, you know, get, escaping the Earth's gravity is, well, whatever. I'm, I'm, right. I'm, I'm going to stop now. Yeah, you're, you're nitpicking a movie that's, you know, 30 years old. I know, I know. Older. <laughs> and, 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 you and, know. And was made as just the cash grab because I think that the second movie was intended to be the end. And then yeah. they were like, oh, we're just. Throwing away money if we don't make another one. <laughs> Let's say a couple survive. Right. And as we as we go through these issues, it's important to remember about uh, Cornelius and Zira and the other ape that went that went back into the past. Yeah, Milo. Milo is that his name? Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Milo. Okay, so they went into the past. So that remember that that's going to be important here soon. Well, no. In, but in this continuity, they haven't yet, exactly. and they may not because well, uh, this might going a little different. Well, okay. Yeah, I'm not going to say anything more. All right, fine. But uh, I think that's that's one of the coolest parts of the the story, right. <laughs> in my opinion. 
Okay. Uh, so. You know, the I, artwork. I love the artwork. You? Uh, the artwork is, in this issue, the artwork is, is very good. I think um, Nova looks great. Um, okay. And. Uh, it looks like she's wearing mud. Actually, mud? I thought she was just wearing mud, and then I realized that that's supposed to be clothing, but yeah. in those oh. panels, I was like, is she just, you know, some strategically smeared mud? <laughs> but then, uh, no. But I don't remember her outfit being that tattered in uh, the movie. Yeah. No. But, you know, artist license. Right. Uh, yeah, so this issue, I do like it. It's just... Um, so do we change artists? Because some of the later issues, I'm not as impressed with the... Uh, no, Barnaby. I'm not as impressed with some of the way that... Like like Hal Jordan. How Hal Jordan's uh, face and stuff is drawn. I'm not as impressed. Yeah, no, he's the same artist in all three of these. Okay. Well, it goes up and down in quality. Mm. I think in general, I do like it. It's just I'm not as crazy about some particular panels. But overall, yes, I do like it. Right. Good work. I think Sinestro looks great. He looks very villainous. Right. Uh, my only, my only complaint, and I, and it's it's a bad complaint because I liked the style. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think the Cornelius and Zira, Zara, Zira, however you pronounce her name, mm-hmm. I think they look fantastic. They right. look like chimpanzees, but they don't quite look like the classic Planet of the Apes makeup chimpanzees. No. At times, they look more like. I don't know. I don't. I want to say real chimpanzees versus uh, the makeup on a human chimpanzee. But um, I mean, it doesn't take me out of the story at all. But at times, I wish it looked more like the actors instead of just uh, yeah, real chimpanzees. Yeah, I especially know that's a stu- stupid thing to complain about. But right, you know, I, those those type of uh, that that makeup is just so iconic to me that uh, they need to look like that. Yeah, and Cornelius might look. Kind of like Cornelius at the beginning, but definitely when he gets the uh, ring on and stuff, he doesn't look like Rowdy McDowell ape. Right, right. Yeah. As a matter of fact, his nose almost looks human in some panels, which oh, isn't yeah, right. It's, not, it's, yeah, you're right. It does a little bit. Yeah. It's not upturned like a chimpanzee's. Right. Anywho. So, um, uh, Red Lanterns, what'd you think? Actually, the, the, the yeah, the part where the Red Lanterns are, are attacking Oa, I I know that's like traditional Green Lantern thing, a bunch of one color lantern fighting another color in lanterns. I know that's what you know. That's like staple kind of stuff. But I found those parts so boring. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's go. And I found the ape parts much more interesting. And I'm going to agree with you. That's why I think I like this miniseries so far better than the last two Star Trek uh, Green Lantern crossovers. Mm -hmm. Because those were just so heavy on everybody has a different ring color and we're all trying to work together. And Mm. one guy's stealing the ring from another guy and blah, 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 blah. And where this one is more of an ape story. you know. Yes, the ape did get a uh, ring, a magic ring that has all powers. Uh, but it's still so much of a Planet of the Apes story, and the Green Lanterns just kind of tacked on there as the MacGuffin for the the conflict, but mm-hmm. not necessarily the the end all be all of the conflict. Right. So so far, I'm going to say I'm liking this better than those last two Star Trek um, 
Green Lantern crossovers. You? I agree with you. I do agree. This is much better than I expected. And I, I, I do like that Sinestro's the one doing it all. Well, yeah, it pretty much always is. I mean, Sinestro. <laughs> I mean, Sinestro is like the master in Doctor Who. He's like he's the go-to guy. He's a great villain. It's just like it's pretty much always Sinestro. Just a little, a little too often. But right. Still, That's a good point. Still, he's a really good villain. And in the next issue, well, the next couple issues, he gets really nasty, and I like some of his lines. So. Okay, so those words that Sinestro was repeating, I didn't repeat it, but he repeats it like five times when he's at the beginning when he's killing all the the lanterns and taking their, their power. Magical chant, yeah. Nayas Nayastos Milen Agado. So is there is is did they just make that up for the comic or is that some traditional Green Lantern something or other? That, as far as you know. Okay. I don't know. Okay. I'm assuming it was made up for this story, but I don't know for a fact. Okay. Because definitely, it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, but most of the Green Lantern world is technology-based. Right. Not, you know, hocus-pocus magic. Right, right. So him repeating these, these uh, those two words, kind of words, uh, like four or five times is like, what? What? What is this? Anyway, I thought right. that was interesting. Right. And then I thought that the whole idea – well, we, I'm going to talk about that next issue because we don't necessarily know that much about Cornelius's ring right now. Right. Although, interesting how it changes color. It's a mood ring. Well, exactly. It's the coolest mood ring I've ever seen. <laughs> what if you had a mood ring that gave you superpowers? Would you take that? <laughs> would you buy that? Hmm? Would, that would that be a good marketing thing? Yeah, yeah, I take that. Uh, I take it, yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Okay, that's all I have to say. All right, cool. All right, so then I get to do issue number two. All right, so issue two came out uh, just recently in March of 2017. It was co-published by Boom Studios and DC Comics, though I think that this is more of a – this is was actually printed by Boom, if I'm not mistaken, this whole miniseries. Not that that matters. The story was by Robbie Thomas, writer Justin Jordan, artist Barnaby Baginda. Colors by Alex Gamarez. Letters by Ed Dukeshire. Design by Scott Newman. Alex Galler was the associate editor. The editor was Daphna... How'd you pronounce that? Plebon. The DC Comics editor was Jim Chadwick. And special thanks to Michael McAllister and Nicole Spiegel. So as with the other issue, there is uh, several covers... We'll go through them very, very quickly. The first one was by Barnaby Baginda, and it just shows uh, some of the Green Lanterns held up by some uh, gorillas with rifle. The next cover is by Paul Rivocci, and it's, again, a classic-type issue where it shows Cornelius in a Green Lantern uh, outfit holding his ring up to a lantern that... Half of it is green and half of it is yellow, so he's holding up to the yellow, uh, the green half. And then Dr. Zayas has a yellow suit on, and he's holding his yellow ring up to the yellow half of the lantern. And it says, he's back again, and for better or worse, the diabolic doctor. So 
again, it looks like an old 1970s issue. The uh, next one is the movie version, and it is by Robert Similian. And it shows Sinestro as he looked in the uh, 2008 uh, Green Lantern movie with the yellow costume instead of the green one that we saw mostly in the movie on one side. And then on the other side, we see uh, a, a very realistic depiction of Dr. Zaius. And then kind of between the two of them is the uh, like a little black bar that shows the name of the issue. And then it shows Cornelius in a green costume and Zira uh, just standing behind him. Then there was also a retailer incentive variant cover, which shows Dr. Zayas holding a, a yellow ring and there's a yellow fire all around him. And then we see uh, various other yellow Sinestro core type characters, including Sinestro himself behind him. And that was by Philippe Mastrafa. And then the last one that I can see is uh, by George Perez and Jerry Ordway, some some DC big hitters. And this is, again, a very busy cover. To the right shows the Lawgiver statue, and underneath that is some uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Oops, Guardians of the Universe, excuse me. Uh, Watch and, it! <laughs> and then from the, uh, from the Lawgiver statue, which uh, I guess has a lantern in front of it, and, and there's two big rays of lantern energy coming out. Each one has uh, a different depiction. One shows green lanterns fighting some red lanterns on a spacecraft with some apes on it. And then the other ray shows uh, the catacombs beneath the planet of the apes with the mutants taking off their human-looking faces with uh, some apes and yellow lantern and red la uh, green lanterns fighting. Oh, and Moga's on the cover at the top. So that's kind of nice. All right. So the uh, story starts on the beach in front of the dilapidated Statue of Liberty with Hal getting up uh, out of the water wearing tattered street clothes. He wakes up to the uh, prodding of a ape's staff. The ape is surprised to see that the human can talk. And then Hal tries to fight but realizes that he cannot use his ring and he gets knocked out cold. In the ruins under the Forbidden City, the mutated humans show Cornelius the body of Taylor. So Taylor is dead. This is obviously the, the Charlton Heston character from the first movie. Cornelius starts to glow red with rage. Uh, and he uses his ring to throw around a few of the humans. And then he changes into green. And he opens up the cage. And uh, then he is infused with blue hope energy as he closes Taylor's dead eyes. The mutated humans then show Cornelius the bomb. This is their god, obviously, from the second movie. Cornelius then uses the power of his ring to dismantle the bomb, and he starts to fashion the bomb pieces into other copies of his super ring. And he tells the mutants that if they worship the bomb as a god, he is now going to make them all gods themselves. Meanwhile, in the DC universe, Guy, Kilowog, and Arissa arrive on Oa to get some answers from the Guardians. After a bit of bickering, the Guardians eventually tell them what's happening. Way back when, when the Guardians created the Manhunters, and that obviously failed, they then started to make rings based on the different emotion spectrums. 
One of the rings they made was called the Universal Ring that could harness all types of emotions. This was deemed too powerful, but they could not destroy it. And since the DCU does not have a Mount Doom to drop troublesome rings into, the Guardians decided they had to hide it somewhere. So they found an alternate dimension where humans bomb the Earth, and then apes regain control of the and then the whole world is destroyed again. So since there's no possibility that uh, in these events they could find the Universal Ring, that's where they decided to drop it. But now it seems that when Sinestro killed one of each lantern type, he was able to learn the location, and then he and Hal accidentally traveled there uh, in the last issue. The group is given special bands that they can wear so that their rings will not lose power when they themselves travel to this planet of the apes. Meanwhile, on the planet of the apes, Hal is kept in the same cage that Taylor was for most of the first movie. But he's able to escape, and he holds Zira and two other chimpanzees hostage with a rifle. Back in Dr. Zayas' office, he is visited by a depowered Sinestro who kills uh, one of the apes that was guarding him. He then makes Dr. Zayas an offer he cannot refuse. Meanwhile, on the DC Earth, Guy visits Bell Reeve Penitentiary to add another person to his merry band of warriors. He says that if he's going to a planet of the apes, he wants someone who can speak the language. And then it pans over and we see the superpowered Gorilla Grodd in a cage. Nothing can go wrong there. To be continued. Yeah. So, on the one hand, great to see Groot. Great idea from a story standpoint. Let's throw Groot in there. A great Grod, piece. Not Groot. A Grod. Groot is a plant character from another franchise. Okay, fine. Grod. Um, so great to see him. He's a, I guess, long-standing, mainly Flash character, yeah. uh, bad guy. So cool to see him. But it's like, guy, <laughs> you're not the sharpest tool in the shed. But uh, exactly, how do you think that's going to work out good? <laughs> right. So how many times has Gorilla Grodd almost taken over uh, the DC universe, or at least the DC universe's Earth? Yeah. And then, yeah, you're going to think that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I'm telling you, when I read this and I saw that on the last page, ear to ear, man, I was smiling so big. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> Take the evil monkey from our universe and put it inside the Planet of the Apes. I mean, the only thing I would like better is if they could somehow do a Planet of the Apes King Kong crossover. <laughs> yeah, this is the next best thing. Yeah, Although, so... Speaking of crossovers, yes. there's one that I actually thought was actually a cooler crossover, which was uh, the Tarzan Planet of the Apes crossover, which they actually did do. Wow. There is one? There is one, Ken. And, really? Uh, yeah. Well, too bad we can't justify re- reviewing that one on the show, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually really cool because uh, instead of when Escape from the, Universe, or Escape from the Planet of the Apes – they go back to the 60s, right? Mm-hmm. But in this in this continuity, they end up going back to the beginning of the 19th century, or the 1900s, and they land in Africa instead of New York. Uh-huh. And they end up finding, uh, Cornelius and uh, Zira end up finding this little human baby that they raise as their own. Uh-huh. And uh, it's, it's, 
It's actually really cool. Yeah, they borrow a lot of uh, the Edgar Burroughs books and the Planet of the Apes kind of uh-huh. melding together. It, it's a fantastic five-part miniseries that I highly recommend everybody reading. <laughs> Especially if you like Planet of the Apes. Yeah. And Tarzan. <laughs> <laughs> other than that, you wouldn't have a reason to buy it. Yeah, other than that, you could probably skip it. But if you like either one of those, it's it's a it's a good read. Okay, well... Almost as good as this one so far. I'll ha- I'll I'll have to check that out sometime. Because uh, you are really happed up on that one. You 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 were texting me about it, so sounds like it's pretty good. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because after I read these three books, I I was I wanted more Planet of the Apes, and I was like, you know what? I haven't read this this uh, Tarzan crossover. I'm going to read it now too. And I was just like, oh, couldn't put it down. Just had to keep reading. Right. And that doesn't happen very often anymore. I'm getting kind of burnt out on comic books. You know, I'm like, I can, I'll read them. I read them all the time, but it's not, I don't ever really get one that I'm like, I've got to finish this. I got to right. find out what happens. But that one, that one did it for me. Well, that's what I like is when, even comic books, when they have a new story, a new idea. I love that. Right. Or or make you revisit old ideas, the things you've been exposed to. It's one thing that I can't stand, especially in crossovers, that just do, you know, the same old thing. They just crank it out, turn the mechanical crank. And really, you know, it's a crossover, but there's no new ideas. And you um, can't change the status quo. So you have to end the story where it began so that it won't mess over either one of the continuities that, that you came from. Yes, these, except... Really like because they, they're one-offs and they have to exist in their own universes. Yeah. So they can do anything they want to. Kill off major characters. If well... Exactly. So uh, they've been breaking that rule, like in the Star Trek ones and Green Lanterns, because, oh, they're in a totally different dimension. They can do whatever they want. It's like, oh, okay, fine. And then this one, what's the deal? Taylor's dead? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, he's not going to come back to set off the bomb, and there's not even a bomb to set off anymore. Exactly. Yeah, speaking of that, okay. So Cornelius takes the nuclear missiles... And is able to refashion them into rings? Lantern rings? Right. Power rings? Maybe. Interesting. Like and and then he has that really cool looking evil look on his face. So it's like, what is going on? Is he like going off the rails? Is he uh is he be- becoming a Sith here? It's like what's going on? Um I, I really that was kind of cool because that really that is a great hook to come back for the next issue. But it's like, what the heck's going on here? These guys are jerks, these mutants, and you're giving them power rings. Anyway, very interesting. Well, can you explain it? What's he doing? I cannot. And he's he's green at the time. I would I would think that he would have changed spectrums to ye- yellow or maybe even red. But he's still green when he's. When he's making the the new rings, which is you know willpower, so right, I don't know. Willpower is not necessarily a emotion. Just saying, <laughs> I've never really got that. Like, well, it's all, hope, all right? The powers are are emotion based, except for his. Well, and it's I, well, it's hope. Was well, I thought hope was green? No, hope is blue. <gasps> oh, okay. Okay, and what's green again then? Willpower. Willpower. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's not an emotion at all. Exactly. Hmm. 
Yeah, because the sapphires are red. Or, uh, um, like pink? Uh, yeah, but they're... Or a sapphire color. Like love. Yeah. And, uh, which also never made sense, because Star Sapphire is a bad guy for the most part, and she's... I never really think of love as being evil. Uh-huh. But I guess it is. We shouldn't love people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then she became good and, like, girlfriend to Green Lantern, yeah, well, right? Well, she started off as his girlfriend and then became... Well, I know, but then came back to girlfriend, didn't she? Or no? I don't know. Well, they've rebooted it so many times, I don't know what it is now. Okay, well. I mean, I when, when, when like she's not dating they, Scotty. They wanted a... Yeah, she's dating Scotty now. Uh, they wanted a Catwoman-type character, which could be bad and good, so... I okay. Think that's where she actually came from. Oh, they got if, it. If I had to guess. Right, okay. So anyways, back to this book. Um... I liked the uh, Guardians. Uh, okay, we'll go ahead and tell you everything scene and all the <laughs> exposition there. I, I I usually don't like those scenes where right. they just give a bunch of backstory, but but here I really did like it. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I mean, and the uh, fact that they knew. Oh, go ahead. Well, it's like this is his, history kind of thing going back, and and that those pictures of these guys, and it's apparently multiple different guys that are trying to make. Like the universal ring and stuff, mm-hmm. and they have interesting looks on their face, especially that one picture of the guardian that looks almost like he's crazy, where he's the one got that you know makes the universal ring yeah. exactly. He looks really. That's a really cool panel. I like that panel. All the little orange waves and stuff, and uh, and he just looks really cool. His his face and his you know toothy grin. Right. He looks very. He looks very evil. Yeah, he reminds me of the, uh, the 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 guardian that becomes Parallax in the in the movie. Oh, hmm. where he created the the yellow ring and then went crazy, and they had to kill him or at least put him on that planet. And then he got free. Right. You remember the movie, right? You loved it. Yeah, yeah, we saw it. And you after the end after the lights came up, you were just like. That's great. That's a great movie. That's the best movie ever. And I was like, eh, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's just, I, I just hoped, I just hoped it would be better. Yeah, I think you're exaggerating a little bit on how much I loved it, but oh, yeah, I, I think did. you, I think you liked it quite a bit. Yeah, I liked it, but I mean, it not was as not much. The best movie. Did we see Batman Begins together? Uh, we saw one of the Batman movies. So no, we saw. Um, the Dark Knight. Okay, The Dark Knight. Fine. The Dark Knight then. Now that one, we were both excited about. That was cool. And Watchmen and Punisher. Therefore, while we ended up seeing a lot of those comic book movies. There you uh, go. Together. When we were in San Antonio. The, uh, the anyway. Punisher one was the one that I walked out going. The Punisher Warzone. Yeah. I remember walking out and I'm like, sorry, Ken, to take you to that one. And you were like, I liked it. I did like it. I liked that. <laughs> I did not like that. I, I thought for the first time the Punisher had the right look to him. The actor had, the had the right look. Bad. Yeah, but he, I mean, finally didn't have a pretty boy being Punisher, and the guy, he looked like the Punisher. I thought it was very good. He was a big guy, a big, you know, we're, get, we're going to get back to this issue, believe me. Um, yeah, I think uh, Barenthal, is that his name? The guy playing the, uh, the Punisher now on the Netflix series? Oh, yeah, the one from Walking Dead? Yeah. yeah. He's great. He's a really good actor. In a lot of ways, he, he, is, he is a great choice for the Punisher. But he's short. He's short. 
I just can't get over the fact that Barenthal is not a big guy. Not a tall guy, anyway. He's in great shape. But it's like, uh, where this guy... Okay, it wasn't the best script in the world. And he, there, there are better actors. But at least this guy is physically imposing. Anyway, I liked it. Uh, I, I still thought Dolph Lundgren was a good choice. Ah, uh, Dolph. Dolph. Yeah, he had the dark hair. Uh, well, in that movie. Right. <laughs> yeah, he, he had his hair dyed. Yes. Yeah, well... Anyway, back to this. Back to this right, one. Back to this issue. So, um, <coughs> I thought the artwork in this one, in some panels, I was loving it. In other panels, it was like th- there's one panel when Guy Gardner's being, you know, told the whole story, uh, him and Kilowog and etc. And they show him like from above because, of course, the Guardian's like floating around the air, and it's like thirty percent of his. Uh, torso is gone mm-hmm. and he looks like a little munchkin or something yeah he's a little squatty and and maybe too wide yeah well yeah and and, and a good chunk of his torso is gone now i know they're trying to do like a like a perspective kind of thing like showing oh yeah you're from above and stuff but that was oh i just thought that's shocking that's like takes me out of it a bit right But still, uh, on on the previous page, they got that great artwork with the uh, maniacal uh, universal ring-making uh, Guardian. So, I don't, I don't know. And by the way, on the same page, right beneath the really cool-looking maniacal uh, Guardian, is... So, that's a Green Lantern. That must be the Green Lantern that took the universal ring to the planet of the Apes. I agree. Uh, but I, I just wanted to comment on the look. I mean, he looks like he looks kind of like Hal Jordan, only really muscular, and he's got no sleeves, so you know, flexing whatever triceps, whatever. But I thought it was very interesting. He's still got the he's got the Hal Jordan mask, and there's other bits that are different from Hal Jordan's mask, but they were definitely seems to be channel, channeling Hal Jordan. Right. Yeah, I definitely thought he was Hal Jordan when I first read it. Right. Just right. with a different costume. Right. But I did like how the Guardians uh, talked about the Planet of the Apes on how it was always on a, a cycle, that it always would – there would always be a nuclear war, and then the apes would rise, and then the world would be destroyed, and then they would send people back in time that would then create the nuclear war that would then lead to the rise of the apes, and then it would destroy itself, and then it would go back in time to – Yeah, yeah. I, I liked how they were just acknowledging the uh, – The time loop. Yeah, the time loop that, that basically caused all of the Planet of the Apes. Right. So this version of the Earth is different from everywhere else because it's locked in a time loop. I thought, yeah, I, I thought that was so cool. It was like, oh, wow. I guess it would be a time loop, wouldn't it? Of course, is this the only time there's a time loop in comic book stories? Probably not. But <laughs> fine, okay. That is something that was there from the original movies – it was in our face. It was right in front of us, and it took a clever uh, story writer and final book writer to capitalize it, and I thought that was very cool. I agree. Love that. Yeah, liked it a lot. Yeah. It's like, hey, yeah, that, that, that would create a time loop, wouldn't it? And apparently it's not necessarily the same every time through. Yeah, not when you throw in some Star Trek people and some Green Lantern people. Oh, yeah. There's, and and Planet of the and Tarzan, just saying. 
Yeah. So <laughs> so there's at least four different uh, continuities that I know of now. Right. But I don't think this is really much this, – this story isn't acknowledging anything from the Star Trek crossovers. No, no. But is Taylor's death at the hands of the mutants – that told me this is not the same continuity as the movies. But is that the first indication that the time loop is going off the rails maybe? Because things aren't happening 100% the same? Well, the first one for me was the – oh, well, that's right because Taylor, Taylor dies before they do anything with the bomb. So yeah, I guess that would be the first indication. Yeah. Yeah, so with him dead here, he's – except as a cadaver, he's not going to be in Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Right. He's dead. And he's the one that sets off the bomb, right? So I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, what else do you have on this issue? I thought terminology was kind of interesting when they were talking, when the Guardians were explaining things and how uh, the planet of the apes, Earth, is like in a loop, is in a time loop. He referred to it being separate from the rest of hypertime. Mm-hmm. So apparently this is Green Lantern terminology, but our normal Earth is in hypertime? Yeah, it's a... DC comic terminology, and I never really understood what it was. So in the 90s and early 2000s, they kept throwing out this hypertime terminology. Mm. Um, and I, I wasn't really reading the books at the time, so I don't, right. I don't know what hypertime is. Okay. Interesting. I just, when I was reading it here, I just kind of used it as the uh, uh, same thing as DC multiverse or whatever. Okay. Which they also use, so I, I don't know what the difference is. Yeah, hypertime, hyperspace, you know, things like that. I tend to think of like the exception or the hey, something weird that allows you to do something, like jump between planets. But uh, that being the normal space that we exist in, thought it was interesting terminology. Right. So maybe you can help me here real quick. Um, when Doctor Zayas is talking to his gorilla guard, which I don't think is Ursus. Dr. Uh, Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Uh, Zayas. I've been singing that all week. Kids are, <laughs> the kids will sing it with me now, too. Um, he says that uh, Landon, Taylor, and now Jordan have come from Earth, um, or a Earth where the humans are, are the rulers. Um, who is Landon? Uh, I have no idea. I mean, is that, is that his first name? Is that Taylor's first name? No, because it says Landon, comma, Taylor, oh, comma, and Taylor. now Jordan. I have no idea who Landon is. similar stories. No yeah, idea so who Landon is. so at first I thought that that was, oh, that's the astronaut from beneath the Planet of the Apes, so I, this must uh, happen after that. Which I don't remember that name. But I, I looked it up, and that guy's name is Brent, so I don't know who Landon is. Is it Brent Landon? Mm, maybe. I don't know. Is it? Um, I don't know. Uh, Brent Landon is actually some kind of a a base, uh, baseball player. <laughs> Obviously, that's not the same person. Planet of the Apes. Well, since you were a big fan, I thought you Okay, might so John Brent. Oh, 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 okay, hold on. I got a hit. So uh, Landon was one of the other ones, the the maybe the black guy that they took out a big chunk of his brain or whatever. John Landon. Yeah, he was one of the other guys. Okay. Oh, 
he was the one that was kind of already lobotomized by the time Taylor got captured. Yeah. John Landon was a human astronaut who joined the ANSA program sometime in the 1960s, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Yeah, I think he was one of the ones that were lobotomized. All right. Okay. All right. Well, like I said, when I was reading it and, and not being that familiar with Beneath the Planet of the Apes, I thought, I thought that that was their way of uh, setting the time frame. But oh, I, I don't think that's – I thought way. he was one of the guys with um, – on the original Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Right. Well, now I know that that's the case. But okay. when I was reading it, I wasn't sure. And then I looked up the – but I didn't think they talked to that guy. I thought Taylor was the first one they actually talked to. Um, but obviously not. So they got separate. Well, we never saw those. We never saw them capture them. All we saw was I mean, we we pretty much followed Taylor. Right. And when they got separated, the next times we saw the 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 other astronauts or the, at least the one guy, uh, you know, he'd already been had his you know brain operated on. Right. Right. So I thought, good catch. I did not catch that at all. But that's very cool they had that little reference from the original movie. Right. Yeah. There you go. All right. We ready to move on? Uh, la, 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 la. Yeah. Uh, no. I'm ready. Let's do the next one. <laughs> All right. So uh, issue two. Or, I'm three. Sorry. We're on three now. All right, so issue three came out uh, probably the next month after that, I would imagine, which is April of 2017. Uh, all of the uh, art staff and uh, writing and editing staff is the same. Uh, so we'll go over the many, many, many covers right quick. So first there's the main cover, which is by Dan Mora, which shows – uh, Cornelius in a classic Hal Jordan type uh, uniform, and then behind him is a whole slew of other uh, Green Lanterns. Uh, then there's uh, cover B, which is the retail incentive variant, which more is like a movie cover, a movie poster. This is by E.M. Geist, and it looks like the Beneath of the Planet of the Apes almost, um, and it's or I guess it would be Escape of the Planet of the Apes. Because it's, it says on the cover, Escape from the Red Lanterns on the Planet of the Apes. And it has uh, has uh, Cornelius and Zira in front of a big red lantern. And then <laughs> Zira's holding a little uh, red lantern cat. And it says, Meet little Dexter, who has an ape city terrified. Oh, that's so cute. All right, then the next one is more like the classic uh, Green Lantern uh, covers from the 60s. Uh, this is by Paul Revoch, and it shows uh, Cornelius Green Lantern kind of punching a uh, – or actually, I guess he's recharging his ring, and a ape is shooting it with a rifle. And then the ape is saying, the only good lantern is a dead lantern. All right, the variant cover – Another variant cover by Philippe Masfara it shows uh, Ursus, uh, the gorilla general, uh, with a red ring, and there's a bunch of uh, red-ringed other lanterns behind him. It's a pretty cool cover. And then the last one is the uh, 
toy looking one. Looks like a like a Mego type uh, action figure toy on a uh, card, and it again is Ursus as a Red Lantern. Uh, definitely a toy I would want to buy if if such a thing existed, and it is by David Ryan Robinson. So the story starts off in Dr. Zayas' house. Uh, Sinestro holds the ape by knife point and demands that the old ape help him out. Zayas finally agrees, stating that he knows where they can find something that resembles these, this ring that uh, Sinestro is talking about. Meanwhile, in the streets of Ape City, Zira and the apes are pretending to have Hal on a leash as they walk through the town. They are stopped by a gorilla, and when it does not look like they're going to be able to escape with just words, Zira kicks the gorilla under the belt, and then Hal knocks him out with a nearby tree branch. They rush out of town, and they find Nova waiting for them with some horses. Ursus is taking an army into the Forbidden Zone to attack anything that, they might, that might still be there. They are halted by the sight of a green-hued Cornelius blocking the way. Ursus gives the order to attack, and then that's when the mutated humans, now with their own power rings, arrive and a full battle ensues. Meanwhile, on the DC Universe's Earth, the Green Lanterns and Grodd are transported to the Planet of the Apes using the same time tunnel thing that Sinestro and Hal Jordan used. When they arrive on the planet, they find that the before-mentioned battle is fully in force, and Guy says, yay, fighting, and he jumps into the fray. The Green Lantern, Arissa, leaves Kilowog to babysit the caged Grodd, but uh, no sooner does she leave than she is engulfed in flames and falls to the ground. Guy is able to swoop up and catch her, and he asks her what happened, because he did not see any flames. It was all in her mind. So that's when they realize that these mutated humans can perform the same magical illusions that the Telosians can perform in the Star Trek universe. They then ask Grodd for help. Grodd uses his telepathy to demand everyone to stop. Everyone, except for the Green Lanterns and Cornelius, immediately falls to the ground. They speculate that the universal ring that Cornelius has must be shielding him from Grodd's telepathy. Before Guy and Cornelius can start the fight, Atrocitus arrives with a whole army of Red Lanterns. Now it is a full-on green versus red fight. And it ends with Cornelius being wrapped up in some red energy... And then he goes supernova and explodes in many, many waves of different kinds of energy. Elsewhere, Zaius shows Sinestro a crypt where a human skeleton holding large metal rings is wearing a green ring on his bony finger. To be continued. Revelation after revelation. Yep. Okay, so... Okay, so from whatever we've seen previously, do we have any idea who this guy is? Uh, he looks like Hal At the end. Nope. Okay, well, no, I... okay, so <clears throat> at first I was wondering, is this supposed to be the Guardian or something that forged the Universal Ring or something? I don't know. 
Probably not. I mean, the skeleton looks more normally proportioned. It doesn't right. have a huge head and little short everything else. So it looks like a normally proportioned human, probably. With a power ring. Well, it's ah. definitely that guy from that, from that previous issue. The one okay. that looked like so, Hal Jordan. Okay. Okay, so I'm looking at the outfit. Definitely, that must be him. There you go. Yeah, You're yeah. right. You're right. I and mean, I didn't catch that when I first read it. I only caught it when we were doing the review for the second issue. Right. Uh, that I was like, oh, that guy's wearing the same costume as the skeleton in number three. So, yes, it's definitely him. So it was a one-way ticket for him to drop off the uh, the Universal Ring here on the Planet of the Apes. Interesting. But the Universal Ring has been sucking power. So that ring appears to be uh, functional, and that's because of the bigger rings that the guy's holding. Okay, this all makes sense now. So so there's a big uh, green whatever. Maybe it's metallic, or maybe it almost looks like it's made out of uh, rock or something, but probably metallic of some kind. The Guardians gave uh, Guy and the others like these ring-like things that would supposedly protect them from having their power sucked out by the universal right. ring. So right. that must be the same thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. So now this is how Sinestro ends up getting a power ring, even though it's a green one, mm-hmm. and the dampening device that allows it to function. Hmm. Right. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting, and it doesn't necessarily make sense because, as we know, Green Lanterns and all the Lantern rings need to be um, – Recharged. recharged with yeah. a lantern. Yep. And so it doesn't make sense why uh, this one would still be working. And who knows, how, what at what point in time did this guy show up onto this universe, right? So, right. I mean, he's a skeleton, and but he got buried. So it must have happened before the the nuclear explosions in the during the, the Battle of the Planet of the Apes. Or Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Whatever one had the... Uh, the nuclear war that that beneath that shifted the balance between humans and apes. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, okay. I'm guessing. I don't know. I'm just saying that. Uh, I don't know when did he show up. Well, it's a time. It's a time loop enough to get buried. It's a time loop. Right. So, but the time. Lo- well, who knows? <laughs> I mean, because because his outfit almost looks like they're trying to tell you, ooh, it's like Roman times or something, or right, or Egyptian you know, or something like that. He, yeah. he's, he's some Green Lantern that came from long ago Earth, right? Which would make sense because if if this Earth was the same age as the DC Universe Earth, and they tried to create the rings, you know, a millennia ago, you know, after the Manhunter thing didn't mm-hmm. work out, then you would think that this guy would have come to this Earth. That long ago, you know, thousands of years ago. Right. Just to hide the ring. But then, right. what, but then he hid the ring and then he lived amongst the humans for a while and eventually died and they buried him here. I don't I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'll answer it in, in the further issues. I don't know. Yeah. So maybe he was the guardian of the universal ring. Right. In general. But then, but then when he died, they didn't bury it with him or. Well, he probably he hid it. Him. Yeah, he okay. hit it. So that's the other thing that's kind of wonky, is in the first issue, Sinestro kills all those different spectrumed um, lanterns, and then he does his magic words, and then that somehow takes the power 
and re-energizes the universal ring. Well, and then it crashes into Earth. Well, I know, but Cornelius finds it in in a meteor impact. So, well, or, or it's the ring's impact. It wasn't right. necessarily it was, a meteor right, impact. Right, right, right. Yeah. So. Where did it fall? I know, but you would think that it would be on the Planet of the Apes, buried by this lantern that we just found a skeleton. Right. Or at least I'm assuming it's buried somewhere. Right. Um, so did it pop out of the ground after it was energized by the magic words of Sinestro, and then it went up in the air, and then it came right back down again? Well, it looks like it's know. in space. So after the all the lanterns get killed, yeah. and uh, you see three little panels on, on issue one, which shows a, a little orange ball in space and then a lightning bolt hits it and then the next page shows the impact crater from the the ring re-entering earth and then nova standing above it so i don't know i guess maybe he hit well, it but... in, in orbit somewhere that's where the lantern decided to hide it here in orbit i guess what I the hell know. that's where i is. don't it's in space and it looks like it's dormant and then a lightning bolt hits it and then it starts heading to earth i guess that's weird. It doesn't make sense. No. I, w- I would have buried it somewhere. Now, if you have a low-tech species around that has no way of getting to the ring, then maybe putting it in orbit makes sense? I don't know. Right, but by 1960s, they, they had Sputniks and stuff, so it's not like oh. uh, he knew that when the world goes through its loop that uh, yeah. they would have had some sort of space technology at that time. Yeah. And maybe having a floating ring over there is not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't know. I would have thrown it into the sun. Well, isn't that ultimately what you always want to do with something that's nasty? But apparently this universal ring is so powerful that it would laugh at that. Right. My, it's but, a bit warm in here, the ring, the universal ring says. Right. <laughs> okay, anyway. So um, I guess Zara, Zira is able to kick some uh, some butt, huh? No, that's not what she kicked. Yeah. <laughs> that's not what she kicked. <laughs> that's, uh, okay, so first off, it looked like she hit him with her knee in the chin. Right? Because uh, right. it looked like he was he was knocked backward. Yeah, that's right. She does. So she, she him. kicks him afterwards. No, she... She kicks him and then she knees him when, Exa- he, when he doubles down. Well, okay. She she kicks him in the groin after she appears to have kneed him in the chin. I think you're you're reading it the other way. She kicks him first. He doubles over because you know that's what you do when you get kicked in that area, and then she knees him and he's out. Okay, and I am reading it from the top. Right, more, but, but you're going from the, the left. Is, it's gotcha. Okay, fine. Left, fine. So I got gotcha. you. Read that one. I got gotcha. you. Sometimes it's not always obvious which order to read some of these panels in, but right, okay, right. fine, good enough. Yeah. So in my synopsis, I kind of alluded that there's only one guard, but there is two. There's so two Hal guards. knocks one out with a stick, and right. she knees and kicks the Kick, other one, or kicks and knees. To your point. Yeah. So she kicks him in the the. Uh, the, the genitalia. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then she even says, that hurt worse than I thought it would. Didn't she say something like that? Yeah. yeah that so, hurt a uh, bit more than I would have thought. So it hurt her to kick him there. I bet it hurt him more than it hurt her. Just saying. Or maybe she's talking about the kneeing in the chin. Oh, 
Maybe. I don't know. The main point is she's kicking some booty. Yeah, she does. So, and then then Nova just shows up. So when did they have all that planned out? Um, They apparently off camera. <laughs> <laughs> they apparently, you know, when those three came in to get Taylor, they probably had it all worked out ahead of time. Yeah, they must have. Yeah, that's the only thing that makes sense. So those gorillas have one heck of an army. So they form, the gorillas form that army, which has a lot of gorillas. I mean, a lot. To enter the forbidden zone. Right, enter which, the which desert. That's how the Beneath the Planet of the Apes is, right? Doesn't, Ursus takes the army into the forbidden zone. So in that regards, this, this to me made sense. So this is the new Beneath the Planet of the Apes movie. This is taking that continuity. Yeah. Okay, so that's fine. It's whatever. But I'm just saying, there's an awful big force. I mean, yeah. they've even look. They've even got cannons and stuff that they're bringing. Wow. Right. Well, when you don't have to worry about uh, you know prop budgets, you can you can make it look a little more grand than they did in the movie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Before they had digital tricks to uh, replicate people into legions. Right. Okay. So it made up for one heck of a fight, didn't it? Right. Right, which again, once once all the green and all the the light fighting starts happening, that's that's kind of when I'm just like, all right, next page, next page, next page. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm a little disappointed that so much of this was just fighting. Yeah. But it's a grand fight. A lot a of there's fight. a lot of stuff going on. Okay, so on the page where Cornelius is confronting Ursus and his uh, his his war army. Um, he's green in the first, the first two panels we see him in, you know, shooting upward to give him a lot of power. So he's all green and he's kind of cool sounding, you know, I'm going to kick some butt. And then as soon as the invisible, love this, invisible mutants become visible. Okay. Got a little, got a little card up my sleeve and I'm playing it. He turns yellow. The, uh, the accents like up on the shoulder. Turns yellow. So, okay, so that's Sinestro color. So what was yellow supposed to be again? Yellow is fear. fear. Okay. So he's going to make them fearful because now you see a whole bunch of mutants coming into into picture you didn't think was there before. Okay. 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 Because fear is the opposite of fear is the mind killer. Yeah, no, I, I I don't understand that. Fear okay. Is not, yeah, okay. so at least fear is an emotion. At least it's an emotion, yes. <laughs> As opposed apparently to hope. Okay. Um. So the the robes of the uh, the people, the the mutants, they uh, they change. They're glowy. Yeah, but they they change red, and then they'll have the red lantern logo on them, or or yellow. Oh, really? They have the yellow lantern. At first, I thought they were always white, but then I had to go back and reread it and then I'm like no they actually change color too so their universal ring does the same thing as uh, Cornelius's does oh I see yeah so it's mostly white or maybe a silvery kind of look but then in the middle of their torso that's there's like a band of color going up and down right okay that's very subtle right it is subtle yeah okay it is funny that uh, why are they wearing the, the rubber masks still because they they look human, but we know that yeah. they really look uh, melted. They're, yeah, they're all they're all uh, their skin is all messed up from the radiation. 
Right. So I find it odd that once they have all this power, they still feel like they need to hide. Well, maybe they fix themselves. Maybe that's not a mask. They've used the ring power. I don't know. No idea. Yeah, and and that was kind of in in Beneath the Planet of the Apes. That was kind of like, hey, you know what? You know, we can have a really cool part where it turns out they all have masks and they all take them off at the same time and it's really cool and shocking. But it was like, you know, I thought that was kind of, you know, that was gimmicky. Right. In that movie. Not that that's the only gimmick, but still. It was, it was, uh, it was a shock. Yeah. It's showing you what melted humans will look like in the future. Melted humans. Nuclear war. So it irradiated. Heard people from using the nuclear wars, warheads. Like, oh, I don't want to be melted. Yeah. I don't want my children to be melted, so we better not use them. Uh, there you go. There you go. Different topic. So mm-hmm. when Cornelius, you know, does the power of the entire spectrum or whatever to free himself from Atrocitus, blows up good. Blows up, blow it up real good. So Kilowog drops screwed. And I, we may have alluded it to, to earlier, or maybe we just did that before we started recording. But what do you think is going to happen now that Groot is free amongst all those apes? Right. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's going to take over the world? Perhaps. <laughs> so um, he's going to be able to talk Ursa uh, or maybe just get rid of Ursa uh, and take over everything. Right. Yeah, I could totally see him becoming the new uh, alpha, the alpha bad guy. Okay, cool. Uh, although that one cover did show almost like Groot maybe working with Ursa, but ultimately Groot's going to want to take over, or Groot is going to want to take over everything, right? Right. Yeah, that's that's, that's in his that's his way. nature. Right. Okay. okay. Yeah, he wasn't content with uh, Gorilla City in the DC universe. And so he had to take over the, the human part of the world too. So ah. it's going to be the same way here. So where is gorilla city? Uh, in the DC universe. Well, I know that, I know that, but where, <laughs> I, I mean, is that like in, in Africa or something Africa. or? Yeah. Okay. Africa. And, and they built, and it's technologically advanced, kind of like Atlantis where it's uh, shielded from normal view. Uh, okay. You could be standing right next to Gorilla City and not know it. Okay. Magic. Wow. Not okay. magic. It's uh, technology. Technology. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah, I haven't watched it, but uh, I think there's a two-parter on Flash this season where they actually go to Gorilla City. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they explain that one. Right. It might be an alternate Earth, though. Flash does that a lot. They do it a lot. I mean, once they got on alternate Earths, it just reminded me – an awful lot of uh, fringe. Mm. Well, and, but it, it's also that's that's classic Flash. I mean, Flash. Oh yeah, yeah. Had the, and and the, the and cosmic who... treadmill, and he could go to different universes and stuff. <laughs> so Fringe probably. You're bringing up the cosmic the old, treadmill again. Fringe probably brought it, got it from. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Fine. 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 And granted. And all the other great sci-fi that came. Granted. Before. Granted. But I'm just saying, it just reminded me of Fringe. Yeah. Because I, I spent a lot of years watching Fringe. So. I never watched a single episode. Oh, well. I need to. That's that's on the list. It, One day. it was a good show. It just took a, a long time to... It spent a long time not telling you what was really going on, and you just saw all these kind of things that gave you hints of what was going on. Yeah. Uh, I think it just took them too long to, to get to what was really going on. Nimoy's in that, right? 
He is. Yes, yeah. he is. Yep. Cool. Not in, you know, it's only a, a fraction of the episodes, but yes, he is in there. Right. All right. Anything else for this issue, kid? I like Zayas and Sinestro working together. I actually thought that was kind of kind of cool. Okay, yeah, but how much are they going to work together? I mean, Zayas is just keeping him from putting a knife through him. And by the way, right. Sinestro looks very at home wielding a very long, nasty-looking bladed uh, knife. Right. He's a bad dude. He's a very bad dude. I mean, he's kind of scary in these <laughs> issues. So, you know, he doesn't he doesn't have the ring and stuff, but he's perfectly at home getting a big old knife and, uh, you know, threatening people with them and killing them. And killing them. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the, how, how this continues because obviously it, it continues to come up with good ideas and, uh, and upping the ante. And right. uh, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, no, it's good. And, yeah, I'm wondering – that big explosion at the end, I mean, what, what what did that really do? Did they just free Cornelius, or did it take out uh, both armies or a chunk of both armies? Well, the thing, the thing it's about – It's a cliffhanger. It is a cliffhanger, but the thing about these comics is, you know, no one ever seems to be hurt for any length of time. You know, they got all these powers that they're shooting at each other and everything, and thing, explosions seem to be happening. But then they all just get up and, you know, walk it off, and, like, they're back to, you know, fighting again. Which is comic books. That's fine. Right. It's just... Well, there was a good throwaway line in um, the last Star Trek crossover where McCoy is checking out Star Sapphire because she got hit by one of those meteors. Mm-hmm. And right when her ring was going out. Right. And then uh, he, she says... Um, the ring, the ring cured me, or the ring, uh, you know, fixed my inner my injuries, uh, so I'll be fine now. So I thought that was interesting. That not only does it protect you from getting as much damage as you potentially would, right? But With it some also kind of personal shield or whatever, you, right? But it also then, if you did take damage, it will mend your wounds and things like that uh, on its own. So. I thought very, that was a, that was a, very a good... handy. Oh yeah, it's very convenient. <laughs> but it explains why you know uh, you all this stuff can happen. Take a hit, lose your energy, land on the ground, and then yet still be able to get back up later once the right. once the energy once the the green energy healed you somewhat. Right. So basically, lanterns have Deadpool like healing factors via the wow. ring. I don't know about Deadpool level, but maybe Wolverine level. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I don't know if they would regrow arms, but, uh, but you never know. Well, okay, so that this is this is a tangent, but so Deadpool is supposed to have better healing factor, higher fi- healing factor than Wolverine. Yet right. hasn't Wolverine been regrown from like only his head? Or like maybe a drop of blood, or you know that kind of stuff. I don't. Not that I know. At of. one point or another. I, I know that uh, Deadpool did that, but I don't know Wolverine. Well, uh, there is a comic. I think it was in the Ultimate Universe where uh, where Wolverine's head is separated from the rest of his body. Mm. Which I thought that was supposed to kill you, but. Um, but his like head, severed head, is still talking and stuff, which is like, you have no lungs, right? 
How's the air getting blown through your? I mean, do you even have your 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 vocal cords? Right. Uh, anyway, so I just. All I, right. Now, now I know I know Deadpool can come back from that kind of stuff. I just until I read this comic, I didn't know Wolverine could. Anyway, yeah, I don't. I, don't, I didn't know he could either. Yeah. All right. Anything else, Ken? Because we need to wrap it up. Nope. Nothing else. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to what happens next time with this series. Um, So, see you guys next time on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starT comicbookreview at gmail.com Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name book review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review <laughs>